2: But I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we. Welcome everybody. Episode 633 of the podcast. It is Week America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast presented by betfred sportsbook it is monday december 5th 2022 people i hope everybody's doing well i hope everybody is having a great day and i hope everybody knows you are about to get a jam-packed awesome aaron torres pod here on a monday here is what you need to know about today's show you can probably guess where we are going to start the college football playoff field is set we break down the four teams we break down if the committee got it right And we break down, you know, just, just everything. We'll start talking a little bit about the games. I don't want to go too crazy there. Uh, And also we'll go and talk about some of the other big bowl games as the orange bowl with Clemson and Tennessee. What an applicable name, the orange bowl, right? Uh, That is set the Rose bowl with Utah and Penn state. So all of the bowl games are set. We'll focus on the playoff hit on a few of the other big ones from there. We'll take a quick break and you know what we're going to talk about next. Deion Sanders, Coach Prime. We told you on this show last week there was something interesting going on in Colorado. They had not named a head coach. Well, they have now. Deion Sanders is at Colorado, and I think this could be a major shakeup in college football. Finally, we'll wrap maybe with a little bit of college basketball. We'll see what we're doing on time. To me, wasn't a crazy, crazy, crazy weekend in college basketball. But Kentucky got a much-needed win over Michigan in London. Uh, Indiana takes its first loss of the year. Mike and Woodson, baby. We got a few different things in College Hoops to talk about. By the way, this is the week where College Hoops will really ramp up to a degree. Uh, We got some good games coming up at the Jimmy V Classic. Next weekend, Arizona, Indiana, in Vegas should be a good one. Uh, So a lot of College Hoops to come. We will hit on that to end the show. Before we get started, a couple things. One, one very important reminder. So the college football transfer portal opens this week. Remember, the portal is officially closed. Players cannot enter until Monday. Monday is the day, and I'm just telling you, it is going to get crazy. We will have plenty of coverage here on the Aaron Torres pod. But if you miss anything, this is what you need to do. Go to AaronTorresOnline.com, and we are running a transfer portal tracker. In other words, all of the big pieces of news – players going into the portal, visits, commitments, decommitments, recommitments, whatever happens, we'll have you covered there. AaronTorresOnline.com. Make sure you stay there for all your portal news. Also follow CFBTransfers.com. Also, merchandise sale, sale is still going on aaron torres online.com we got our mora hurley 2024 t-shirts for the UConn fans going to myrtle beach for the bowl game we got our mike effin woodson shirts all that good stuff uh and other than that just thank you for the support youtube has hit 15k we are now on the road to 16k 20k and beyond make sure you're subscribed there even if you listen to the podcast do your boy Torres a favor and subscribe on youtube with that said though let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day i'll be blunt of every monday show we do all year long you can pro this is right up there with the easiest slam dunk topics of the day you know where we're leading we are talking college football playoff as the four-team field is officially set Now, what I don't want to do is really react very much to the games themselves on Friday and Saturday. The bottom line is, you know what happened, but more importantly, you know what the stakes were and what they now mean. But just as a quick refresher, I think we all kind of know, right? The deal going into the weekend was pretty straightforward. Georgia pretty much win or lose in the SEC championship game was in. Georgia takes care of business. They destroy LSU 50 to 30. Michigan win or lose. They are in, they take care of Purdue. Uh, And then it got kind of interesting after that, right? TCU, USC were in kind of win and they are in scenarios. Uh, If, if, if one team lost, it felt like Ohio state as an 11 and one big 10 runner up in the East, very much could be in position to get that next spot. And then lurking in the background. We all know who it was, 10-2 and Bama, who of course had lost earlier in the year to Tennessee uh, and LSU. And so the the weekend plays out, and again, everybody knows what happens, but USC loses on Friday night. You feel bad for Caleb Williams. He left it all on the field, busted up his hamstring, busted up his pinky. Um, But when USC lost, it did open the door. It felt like most people, we all kind of agreed it would be and should be Ohio State. It did set up a very interesting Saturday, though where TCU goes to Arlington, to Jerry World. They lose on the final play of the game in overtime against Kansas State. Congratulations to Kansas State, your Big 12 champion. Um, And what it means is that now there's an interesting debate between TCU and Alabama over who should get that fourth spot. Well, on Saturday, we got the drawing, we got the teams, and here is what we officially got. We got a one versus four matchup of... Georgia versus Ohio State. We got a two versus three matchup of Michigan and drum roll, please. Oh, it's a TCU horn Frogs. You know by now, you don't need me to tell you. But I bring it up because it appears as though while it was a fun conversation about Alabama, the committee never took it seriously as TCU not only gets into the field, but gets the third spot. Again, setting up the semifinals. They are New Year's Eve this year, December 31st. We have Michigan TCU early. We have Ohio State Georgia late. And so, in a minute, what I want to do is just kind of give you my quick first impressions of these games as well as the other bowl games. But before we do, though, let let me just start by saying this: the committee got it right. Okay, so so I think over the course of the week, it was really weird, right? Like we all kind of understood again the Georgia-Michigan win, no matter they're in, no matter what, and TCU-USC winning, they're in. And then on the fringes, you had Ohio State. Um, But it was interesting that over the course of the week. You started to kind of feel this groundswell, weird thing happening with Alabama, right? That Alabama, well, they're 10-2, but they lost their last cup. They lost their two games on the final play. And if stuff went down and if stuff got crazy on Saturday, you can't forget about the Crimson Tide. That's all I heard all week. The committee even went so far as to say on Tuesday, their final release before Sunday, that it wasn't inconceivable that Alabama surpasses Ohio state, despite no teams playing. And so as we got to Saturday, there was a real groundswell for Alabama to get in. There's just one problem. And I think I was in the minority in this, uh, you know, in the media, I saw certain media members trying to make the argument for against this, that I'll be blunt. I never really saw the argument for Alabama at all, okay? So first of all, when you look at Alabama, there are a lot of things to consider with their resume in terms of why they did not get in, okay? First of all, when you look at Alabama, here's the problem. They had no great wins. Two best teams on their schedule were Tennessee and LSU and they lost to both of them and i understand both games were on the road i get all that but hey everybody plays somebody on the road right michigan played ohio state on the road uh clemson played whoever notre dame whatever on the road so don't tell me it was on the road you lost your two biggest games on the schedule and then beyond that those two teams got destroyed by georgia when they played them and so to me it's one thing if you lose to good teams on the road But when they start losing games now, that's when it starts to come into question. So Alabama was a weird deal because you look at their resume. And again, let's just talk about Alabama for half a second. Because the more the week went on, the weaker their resume got, got, right? First, you look at them, they have no great wins. I just explained that. Then on top of that, here was another problem for Alabama. Their best win by the rankings of the committee, you know who it ended up being? It ended up being a one-point win against Texas in Week 2. Now, you could argue maybe Ole Miss is better. Well, not according to the rankings. According to the rankings, the best win was Texas. Here's just one problem. TCU also played Texas, and TCU beat them by a bigger margin than Alabama did. So they have a common opponent. TCU was better against them. And then, late in the week, this is where it started getting really interesting, was you started hearing Nick Saban, and, and, and from the Alabama camp, this is what you started to hear well we lost twice not just once but twice we lost twice but it was on the final play of the game now here was the problem with that argument so we've already picked up the fact that they have no great wins we've already picked up the fact that their best win is a mutual game against the team they were likely competing against tcu now the argument is we got a bunch of really close wins well there's two problems with that argument as the week went on one People like me, who actually watch all these games, pointed out something pretty simple. Yeah, you have two wins in the final play of the game, but you also, or two losses in the final play of the game, you also had three wins, basically, on the final play of the game. You win by one at Texas, you win in the final minute against Ole Miss, you win on the final play against Texas A&M. So if the argument is, well, we're two plays away from being undefeated, well, I can argue you're two plays away from being 8-4 and too. And you know what actually hurt Alabama more than anything with this argument, I think, is that come Saturday, we all watch the Big 12 championship game. And there was this debate over, well, you know, could TCU hang with Georgia? First of all, if the argument is Georgia would beat you, guess what? Georgia would beat everybody. As a matter of fact, I thought that was actually Alabama's weakest argument. I saw these Alabama fans, TCU's terrible. If they played Georgia, they'd lose by 30. What makes us think Alabama wouldn't lose by 30? Alabama lost to Tennessee and LSU. Both teams got destroyed by Georgia. So let's put aside the whole Georgia element of it. But on top of the fact that they have no great wins, that their best win is the same as TCU's best win, and that they've lost lost two games on the final play of the game, here was the other thing. Did you see TCU on Saturday? Did you see how they lost? Final play of the game. So you start going on down the list. They have no great wins. Their best win is the same as TCU's. And then their big, strong closing argument all week was, well, but we have two very close losses. Well, now TCU also lost to a top 10 team on the final play of the game. And so when I knew Alabama was in trouble, when I knew Alabama was in trouble, you you kind of know when. It was when Nick Saban started doing the media rounds on Sunday night. He did SportsCenter. He did the Fox Sports halftime show in the Big Ten Championship game. Pretty sure I saw him on the BBC and Barstool Sports. And, uh, you know, I, I think he would have done this podcast if I had been recording live, if he, you know, if I was available to do it. He was doing every media tour. And by Saturday night, when it was clear that he had no great wins, when it was clear that he lost to the two best teams on the schedule and the losses got worse as the season went on, LSU finishes as a four loss team when it was clear that close losses were no longer a factor because TCU had fewer losses and theirs was on the final play as well. You know what Nick Saban started saying? He started saying, well, if you look at the Vegas odds, and I don't think he used the word Vegas, but he said if you look at the odds, we would be favored on a neutral field against all these teams. When you st- when Nick Saban turned into Nikki point spreads over there, okay, that's when you knew that Alabama was screwed and that they had no real argument. And so to me, I'll be honest, I always kind of believed that the Alabama TCU debate really wasn't much of a debate at all. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of 2018. Now, you guys and girls may not remember that, but, you know, I do this every year. I always have these arguments every year. And 2018 was the year, if you remember, Georgia goes to the SEC championship game. They're leading at halftime against Alabama, below the lead. They already have one loss, and their big argument going into the final Sunday of the season was, well, we're 11-2, and two, but we have a really close loss to Bama. Yeah, that didn't cut it in 2018 because they got in over, o- or Oklahoma got in over them. If you remember, that was the year Oklahoma had Kyler Murray. So the final day, it comes down to one loss Oklahoma versus two loss Georgia. Georgia's arguing about close losses. It never really seemed to factor in for the committee. I never thought it would this week. And we get our final four of TCU playing Michigan alongside Ohio State and Georgia. And again, Alabama is now going to the sugar bowl. And again, the committee got it right. Really quickly, in terms of the games themselves, I don't want to spend a ton of time like totally like overanalyzing these games, right? Because we got a month to do that and stuff's going to change. And like th- there's just stuff that's going to happen. Some guys, believe it or not, are going to transfer. Like Cade McNamara, Michigan's backup, is going to Iowa. I don't even know if he's going to be around for this game. So stuff's going to happen. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be weird stuff. I don't want to overanalyze it. But Betfred Sportsbook does have point spreads out. It is interesting. Ohio State is a 6.5-point underdog. Georgia a 6.5-point favorite over Ohio State. Ohio State and also Michigan a nine-point favorite over TCU. So again, Michigan is expected to steamroll TCU. Georgia is expected to beat Ohio State by about a touchdown. Now, in terms of the point spreads itself, in terms of the games itself, let me let me start by saying this, okay? I get why a lot of people, whether it's fans, whether it's some people in the media, this is not one where Torres is going to rip apart the media for, for saying something that he disagrees with, but I saw a lot from the media on sunday of two things one michigan's the number two seed but they got the easier path now do i believe that to a degree while the committee said it didn't happen i do think the committee i don't think they were crazy about doing a rematch actually i take that back i think the committee in a perfect world would have wanted a rematch but i think they looked at tcu tcu had the extra data point of one extra game 12 wins instead of 11 for Ohio State, and I think they they probably got it right. I could have seen the argument for Ohio State at number 3, Michigan rematch in, uh you know, probably in Arizona. But anyway, neither here nor there, I want to talk about the games really quickly because I, I saw a lot of that. One, Michigan got the easier path, and then two, Georgia has their hands full. Georgia got screwed, and this is going to be an all-timer. Well, let me just say this. The Georgia-Ohio State game, it really does remind me of what I say very often on this show. Sometimes two things in life can be true. In this case, I think three things in life can be true as it pertains to this game. One, I'm not going to debate that Ohio State shouldn't have been in. We only have four spots. Nobody really presented a better argument than Ohio State, so I'm not going to argue Ohio State shouldn't be in. Two, I do think if you gave Kirby Smart some truth serum after what they did to Michigan last year... Um, I, I think Kirby smart would say oh, Ohio state's the team that we don't want to play. Kirby smart said as much on the ESPN broadcast uh, when they announced the final four, not that he didn't want to play Ohio state, but basically he said like, look, we recruit all of the same players. They have a lot of talent in that locker room. We know what we're in for. So I think those thing, two things are true. Ohio state should be in. I'm not going to argue that Georgia will have uh, Georgia on paper. It is probably the team that they don't want to play, but here's the third part. Of three things in life can be true. One, Georgia doesn't want to play him. Two, Ohio State should be in. But three, why is everyone convinced that Ohio State is going to keep things close against Georgia? Is it because of recruiting rankings? Is it because of um, is it because of, you know, uh, stature or name brand? Because I've watched these two teams all year and I see the direct opposite of each other when I see them. What I see from Georgia, and we talked about it before the conference championship game, conference championship picks went three and two this weekend. But from Georgia, what I see is I see a team, no, as we discussed on Friday, no, they're not as good as last year. But what I do believe with Georgia, I believe they have surpassed Alabama and they are now the best big game team in college football. They didn't show up and play great against Missouri. They didn't show up and play great against Georgia Tech. But in the three biggest games of the year, Here's what they did to teams. They beat Oregon 49 to 3. They beat Tennessee 27 to 13. And Tennessee had no touchdowns until late into the fourth quarter. That game was not competitive. And then on Saturday in the Georgia, uh, not the Georgia Dome, Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia beats LSU 50 to 30. And so I bring it up because on the one side, you have a Georgia team not great every week. But in the big games, nobody right now in college football is more ready to go for the big games than Georgia. Then on the opposite sideline, you have Ohio State, who I truly believe, and I've said it many times, is a paper tiger when it comes to they look the part. What, what's the old, what's the old um saying? Looks like Tarzan plays like Jane. Now we talk about that as it pertains to sometimes a player or an athlete that they walk in the building you know they big physical athletic like like I'm trying to think of in, in in sports terms right somebody that that looks the part that's big f- intimidating overwhelming then they get on the field or they get on the court and they just they're they're soft that's kind of how i feel about georgia or ohio, how i feel about ohio state georgia big games you get their best ohio state big games here's what they did in their three biggest games this year Trailed at the half at Notre Dame, trailed after three quarters against Penn State, lost to Michigan. Two of those games, by the way, were at the horseshoe, and then you go back to last year. Trailed at the half against Utah, got destroyed by Oregon at home, got destroyed by Michigan on the road. So again, I've used the stat, but you go back and really their last big, six, their last six really big games. Seven if you include Michigan State. Michigan State last year was the only game where Ohio State looked like the way Ohio State should. So to me, this notion, and we got plenty of time to talk about it, but this notion that Ohio State, they're so good and you can't doubt them and they made the playoff. Show me something on the field, Ohio State, because I know Georgia's ready for big games. They, They weren't always. It took them a while to get that mentality. But I saw them last year in so many big spots. I saw them last year in the national championship game and I saw them this year against Oregon. I saw them against LSU and I saw them against Tennessee. I've also seen Ohio State against Michigan two years in a row. Some get punked by Oregon last year. Some get uh, outplayed for large stretches against Penn State. I'm not a believer in Ohio State. In terms of the other game, you know, uh, that's one I don't know that I have a super strong opinion on just yet. Um, TCU is really, really, really talented. What stands out to me against Michigan is that they just beat on you and beat on you and beat on you and beat on you and wear you down. They did it two weeks ago against Ohio state. That game was competitive until the middle of the third quarter when Michigan just kept running at them and eventually warmed down the same with the Purdue game where it was a one point game at halftime and Michigan won going away. I think TCU is good. I think they'll keep it competitive for a half. I don't necessarily see them beating Michigan. I do think we're going to get a Michigan Georgia rematch. They played in the semifinals last year. I think they'll play in the finals this year, but those are my first kind of thoughts on the game. I get why people are excited about Ohio State, Georgia. I don't know if it's going to deliver. I actually think, and I tweeted this out, I think the TCU-Michigan game will be more competitive than Georgia-Ohio State. Really quickly, uh, some of the other bowl matchups, you know they're all official at this point as you listen. The big bowl games, here's what you need to know. So the first one, the Orange Bowl. That's in Miami. That features the ACC champ, which is Clemson, playing an SEC uh, team that got in, and that is Tennessee. So first of all, credit to Tennessee. Great season. I know it didn't end the way that you wanted it, but you're going to a New Year's Six Bowl game. Credit to Josh Heupel. The Clemson thing, though, is very interesting. So for people who didn't watch the ACC championship game, and if you didn't, it's okay. They weren't playing for anything other than pride. If you watch the game, Dabo finally did what we've been begging him to do, which was finally he took out DJ Uyla okay? DJ comes in, first two drives, DJ two three and outs, and Dabo pulls him out. Cade Klubnick, the backup comes in that we've been calling for, not only on this show, but for most of the college football community has been calling for him since early September. Throws, Completes 20 of 24 passes, also rushes for a touchdown, one TD pass. They win 39-10, to 10, and Clemson clinches the ACC championship. Now, one, credit to Clemson, 11-2, a little bit of a down here. Two, and we will have this conversation at some point, Dabo cost his team a playoff spot because we knew all along that Cade Klubnik was the better guy. We knew all along that DJ wasn't it. And so the fact that he stuck with DJ all season long, the fact that he stuck with them last week against South Carolina at home, when if they win that game, they're playing to potentially go to the playoff. They would have been in the conversation. I think they probably would have gotten in over Ohio State as the number four seed Dabo waited too long. I don't understand why he has said going forward that Cade Clubnick will be the guy. Cade Clubnick will be the starter going into the bowl game. So that's something to keep an eye on. Obviously, Tennessee will be without Henan Hooker in that Orange Bowl. Uh, the other big games, you know, the Sugar Bowl is actually very interesting. So Alabama will play the Big 12 champ, Kansas State. Highest ranked Big 12 team. The, you know, the champ goes there unless the champ makes the college football playoff. Well, Kansas State is going to the Sugar Bowl, first of all. Kansas State is going to bring some people to New Orleans. As somebody who spent some time in New Orleans during the Final Four, great city. If we have any Kansas State fans listening to this show, enjoy the heck out of that trip. You are going to have a blast. But from the Alabama perspective, I think it's fascinating, right? Because I could see one of two things happening. Last time that Alabama did not make the playoff, it was 2019. And I thought Nick Saban did a good job of rallying the troops. That was the year that Tua got hurt. But if you remember... All their guys that went pro after that game still played in the bowl game. Jerry Judy played in the bowl game. Henry Ruggs played in the bowl game. But that was a year where I think Saban could sell. If we have two, we might be the best team in college football. That was the year, of course, they lost to Joe Burrow and LSU. But I just bring it up because that time, I thought Nick Saban did a good job of selling his players on staying invested. I don't think Bryce Young is playing in this game. I don't think Will Anderson is playing in this game. And I'd be curious to see what Alabama looks like if they do not. We saw Alabama with a backup quarterback this year against Texas A&M and against Arkansas. I don't know if Jalen Milroe is the guy. So that'll be interesting. Again, Kansas State, they showed us who they are. They are tough. They are mean. And if Alabama doesn't come to play, Kansas State's going to beat them. Rose Bowl, it will be the Pac-12 champion, Utah, versus Penn State in the Rose Bowl. This one was interesting because Ohio State technically uh, would have gone to this one had they not made the playoff, but Ohio State actually reached out to the college football playoff committee or to the Rose Bowl committee and said, do not pick us if this is where we land. Because if you remember, they went last year and played Utah the year uh, 20, I think it was 18, the Urban Meyer's final year. They went to the Rose Bowl and played Washington. And so Ohio State basically said, we don't want to go again. We went last year. Last year, they didn't sell out their ticket allotment. Now, that was a little bit of a different deal. As crazy as it sounds, there were still some COVID restrictions in early 2022 in California. I think there were a lot of Ohio State fans that said, I'm afraid to travel and not be able to go to the game. So, whatever. The point is, Ohio State was slated to go there. They make the playoff. It's a non-issue. We get an interesting Penn State team. And I'll be curious if Penn State kind of does the Clemson thing. Do you play your veteran quarterback? Or do you play Drew Allaire, the five-star freshman who I think everybody wants to see? That one will be fascinating. And then the final marquee game in bowl season, it is going to be the Cotton Bowl where USC Caleb Williams, who I do still think is going to win the Heisman, uh, they will play Tulane, the highest-rated group of five champion. Really interesting slate of games. Uh, In terms of the other big bowl games, well, you already know where i'm gonna go first uh because you know once you get past the new year six there's not a ton of big games but you already know december 17th or december 19th there's only one bowl game it's in myrtle beach south carolina uconn and marshall how about them huskies husky fans torres is gonna try to get there no promises going to try to get there some other interesting ones, you know, Vegas bowl game, Florida versus Oregon state. I think that one is really interesting to me. The second bowl game of the year, Cincinnati Louisville in Boston is an interesting game. Now I don't know what kind of turnout they'll get, but to me, that's an interesting matchup. Wake Forest, Missouri in the, uh, used to be the Outback bowl. They call it, or no, the Gasparilla bowl, excuse me. That one will be interesting. And then you go down the list. Liberty Bowl, Kansas-Arkansas, that was the game where reportedly uh, Kansas wanted to play Missouri and Missouri refused to play them. We got the Holiday Bowl uh, with Oregon and North Carolina. If you like points, we should get a lot in that one. Texas Tech Ole Miss in the Texas Bowl. I'm just going through the list. Oklahoma and Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl should be interesting. Washington and Texas in the Alamo Bowl as well. I'll just tell you, We'll have a lot of bowl talk over these next couple of days. I'll see if bracket fanatics can throw together a bowl pick them challenge. Well, stay tuned on that. I'll keep you updated on that, but really fun uh, time of year. Congrats to the four teams that are going to bowl game or going to the playoff, Michigan, TCU, Ohio state, Georgia. These were the right four teams. And I'll tell you what, I can't wait for bowl season. I know everybody else. Oh, there's too many bowls. Nobody cares. Ratings. Tell me that you guys and girls care. And then on top of that, I think there's some really fun matchups. Again, I would say outside of UConn going to the Myrtle Beach Bowl, which again, I'm going to try to get to. We'll see if it happens. Uh, and outside of the playoff, the ones that are most intriguing to me, probably the, um, probably the Orange Bowl with Tennessee Clemson, the Sugar Bowl for sure with Alabama and Kansas State. Also, the Citrus Bowl, LSU Purdue should be a fun one as well. All right, so what want to do? We do? want to come back take a quick break take a quick break really come back and when we come back you know what we're talking about talking about coach prime baby Deion sanders going to colorado i think i was all over this one last week we're going to discuss it what's good what's not how quickly can he have success we'll take a quick break discuss that next all right we're getting back to the show in a minute But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, I've told you all about them. Started in 1967 in the UK, over 50 years. One of the most credible, reputable, and well-established sportsbooks overseas. Well, they have come to the United States and made a major splash here stateside. Not only are they the presenting sponsor of Aaron Torres Media, but also the Denver Broncos, the Colorado Rockies, the Cincinnati Bengals. And what I love about Betfred, they do more for their betters than any sports book out there. Okay. I've told you before, but I'm going to keep telling you Cincinnati Bengals games, that Betfred suite is hopping. Denver Broncos, VIP tailgates. We've sent listeners of this podcast to Denver Broncos, VIP tailgates. Listen, uh, listeners and, and and people have thrown out, Fred betters have thrown out first pitches at Colorado Rockies games on and on, Fred bar crawls in Arizona. I'm telling you, this company does more for its betters than anybody, and here is what they are doing for you today. You can bet 50 on any game, full game, NFL, college basketball, whatever you want to bet on. Bet 50, get 250 in free bets. That's courtesy of the Betfred Sportsbook, just for listeners of the Aaron Torres Pod. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook right now and take advantage of this offer. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward for by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse with family.
2: All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Do want to switch gears and hit on the other major topic from this weekend in college football. And boy, oh boy, was it major. I am, of course, talking about Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. And I am, of course, talking about Colorado. Now, if you listen to Thursday's show, I think, honestly, this show, we were ahead of this about four, five, six days ago. I said I found it very strange that Last weekend, every job that was available, they sprinted to get their head coach in place in time for the portal, in time for the early signing period with Nebraska and Auburn and and Georgia Tech and, and Arizona State. Everybody, Wisconsin, basically had their head coach in place by midday last Monday. Then we talked about Colorado, which was just sitting there chilling, having the time of their lives with their feet kicked up. We knew they had offered Deion Sanders, and when it got to Wednesday, Thursday, and they had not offered it to anyone else publicly, nobody had accepted. I said, "Uh, you know, I'm not great at math, but you can put two and two together here. Well, on Saturday, after Jackson State won against Southern to improve to 12-0, the rumors became official, and they were no longer rumors, as Deion Sanders, as I just said, Coach Prime, guy I grew up watching and idolizing, Is Now the head coach of Colorado. And so there are so many details and there are so many interesting things to discuss as it pertains to this story. Uh, I want to get into all of them, but very quickly, let me just start with a little bit of a negative, because I do think there was a little bit of a negative pushback on Deion Sanders for taking this job. Basically, I think there was a segment of people that basically said like, you know, he said that his mission was to elevate HBCU football and how can he leave? You know, it's not my place to say, but people were calling him a sellout. Let me just say that is idiotic. That is so dumb. And anyone who is saying it, you're a complete idiot. OK, so first of all, a couple things. One, say what you want about how Dion left. But a couple, uh, what's important to note is this. One, he did elevate HBCU football. How many times on a show like this, or on Sports Center, or on any college football podcast, or college football live, or whatever, how often did we ever talk HBCUs, or frankly, any FCS football prior to Deion Sanders getting to Jackson State? Well, over the last couple of years, I wouldn't say we covered Jackson State with a fine tooth comb, but we paid attention. They had a spotlight on them. Barstool Sports was doing a documentary about them, and it did elevate HBCUs in the process. Go look at Grambling State right now. You know who their head coach is? It's Hugh Jackson, a former NFL head coach. You think Hugh Jackson is taking that job if Deion Sanders didn't kind of you know set up the pathway for him? Eddie George, remember him? All pro running back. He is now at Tennessee State as the head coach. You think Tennessee t- Tennessee State has Eddie George, a former NFL icon, as its head coach if it wasn't for Deion Sanders? So he did elevate uh, F- uh FB FCS and more importantly HBCU football but more importantly like let's just use common sense here okay first of all the goal has been power five since the beginning remember this all started with him interviewing at both Florida State and Arkansas for head coaching jobs and the rumor at the time was that Florida State actually came away very impressed by him but just felt like they had never seen him coach at the college level and so he ended up at Jackson State because of the fact that that he couldn't get a job elsewhere. And he said, I got to start somewhere. I got to prove myself. That's exactly what he did. On top of that, in recent years, he interviewed reportedly with TCU last year. So don't tell it like, like we knew all along he was interested in coaching at the power five level. Beyond that, he said it on 60 minutes this year. He said, if one of those schools calls, I have to listen. And finally, what I would just say about this like dumb topic, and then we'll get to the fun stuff is Is Deion Sanders not supposed to want to elevate himself just like every other person in the world? Like to me, my whole thing is I think everybody who has any type of career, anyone who's goal oriented, the goal is to never stay static, right? It's never to stay who you are or where you are in this moment. It's to grow and build and learn and get better and take that next step up the ladder, take the next step up the ladder after that. And hopefully at some point, you're doing your job at the highest level, competing against the best and seeing how you match up. And so Deion Sanders, a world-class athlete and not one, but two sports, he played Major League Baseball at the highest level as well. Is he not supposed to be aspirational and try and compete at the highest level? So I never understood this pushback. I'm glad Dion is at the Power Five if that's what he wants. By the way, if he wanted to stay at the HBCU level and compete there for the rest of his career... God bless him. That's what he should do. But he was good. He proved himself. And I thought it was interesting on the way out. Jackson State released a video where he basically said, look, in this profession, you're either leaving because somebody forces you out or you're leaving on your own, you know, kind of volition. And so Deion Sanders said, listen, I'm 12 and 0 right now, but I could be 0 and 12 next year. And then what happens? And so he's on his way out. He is going to Colorado. There's no turning back now. Now let's get to the fun part, because this is where it gets fun. And let me just say a couple things now that Deion Sanders is officially the head coach of Colorado. One credit to Colorado, credit to Colorado for having the, you know, what between their legs, the cojones, the, I'm not even going to say it. You could take a guess from here for having the guts to go after Deion Sanders, because I think Deion was this guy that, you know, we all kind of thought was really interesting, but I think we all kind of thought in our heads, it was going to take a certain type of job. To get him to leave Jackson State, an SEC job, Florida State, maybe Georgia Tech because of his ties to Atlanta. And Colorado, as best as we know, at least at the Power Five level, was the only one that shot their shot with Deion Sanders. And I wonder how different things would be if other schools knew that he was willing to go to what we deem as not the best job or not the SEC or not the best conference. But he goes, credit to Colorado. Um, On top of that, I'll just say this. You talk about a home run hire for Colorado, and it's funny, right? Because when we talk home run hires, we usually talk about a guy that we know can go to a place and win at the highest level and compete for a national championship. Urban Meyer, when he got to Ohio State, was a home run hire. Lincoln Riley, when he got to USC, was a home run hire. Jim Harbaugh, when he got to Michigan, was a home run hire. Unfortunately, one we were all wrong on, I thought Scott Frost was a home run hire at the time. Dion is a home run from a different perspective for a few different reasons. One. I do believe he can win at an insanely high level at Colorado. But more importantly, just because of the fact that he is Deion Sanders, he is Coach Prime, he is an NFL icon, a Major League Baseball icon in some ways as well, he immediately makes Colorado more relevant than they've been in 30 years. Okay, And and I know some of you are old enough to remember the glory days from Colorado, late 80s, early 90s. There are a lot of people like me in their mid-30s or below I don't really remember them. I sort of remember Colorado being good. But even by the time I got into college football, Colorado was kind of on the way out. Haven't been relevant for 25 years. This immediately gives them a shot of credibility. It gives them a shot of credibility. And we're going to talk about this in a minute with coaches, with with assistant coaches, with players in the portal, in high schools, um, with TV networks, where all of a sudden Colorado, like, you don't got to put Colorado on TV. Now people are going to watch Colorado to see Deion Sanders. So it gives Colorado credibility. You know who else it gives credibility to? You know who I actually think was the biggest winner on Saturday with this news? It wasn't just Colorado. It was the Pac-12. Think about where the Pac-12 was six months ago on the day that USC left UCLA on the final day of June. I think we all thought the conference was dead. I think we all thought it it was going to be gone, right? And even if it survived, it was going to be just a shell of itself and it didn't really matter. Now, look, they haven't signed a TV contract yet. So in theory, the conference could cease to exist tomorrow or in a week or in a month or in a year. But for right now, I don't think any of those schools are going anywhere unless the Big Ten wants to expand and I don't think they're going to. And this now adds another relevant program to what is actually kind of a good league. I think in the NIL world, Oregon is going to be able to compete at the highest level. They're might they one of the few teams outside of the SEC in the Big Ten. They will be able to go into a kid's home. And if if the future of college football is bidding for players, they are not going to be outbid by the SEC or the Big Ten. Washington appears to have a really good coach, Kalen DeBoer. They finished in the top 15. I'd have to look it up, but I think they would have been in the conversation for a college football playoff berth in a 12-team playoff. Utah, second straight Pac-12 champ. So they just said to usc have fun in the big 10 we're gonna win our conference and now you have colorado which is all of a sudden relevant interesting and let's get to the most important point i think they're gonna be really 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 good under dion and so i think that's the next question right how good can colorado be under dion the answer i think they're gonna be really good one he's a really good head coach okay and this is something that gets lost in the flash and the bling and Instagram and social media and whatever. Deion Sanders went 12-0 and this year at Jackson State. Deion Sanders went 11-2 last year at Jackson State. And as I've said many times, one of those losses was to a, an FBS school. So when Deion Sanders has competed against FCS schools, same schools, same resources, same funding, same whatever, he has gone 23-2. 23 and 1, excuse me, in his last 24 games. Last 25 games overall, he has gone 23 and 2. 23 and 2, 23 and 1 against FCS competition the last two years. So you know he can coach. On top of that, here's the other thing you know he's going to bring at least one good player with him. That's his son, Shador Sanders. Shador Sanders, for people who do not know, and I'm not an NFL draft expert. People are saying he just completed his second year, that he is a player that can play on Sundays. He's a quarterback. He threw for 36 touchdowns and six interceptions this year. And again, I can't tell you how good the competition is relative to what he'll see in the Pac-12, but if you can throw 36 touchdowns, six interceptions, 70% completion percentage at any level of college, I think you're going to be able to step up and help. More importantly, and this is the important part, Deion's going to recruit the hell out of the portal and the high school ranks of Colorado. Starting with the portal. This guy gets it. He gets what the portal is and what it can be. And I think he's going to crush in the portal. Because what is the portal ultimately? Yes, there are those super high-level players that you're going to get in bidding wars and whatever. At the, high, the top of the SEC and the ACC and whatever. But there are a lot of good players that are looking for opportunities. Well, the one thing Colorado has, probably the least talented Power 5 roster... They have playing time right away, and the same way that Deion Sanders built up Jackson State, he is going to build up Colorado. I saw this interesting little nugget over the course of this weekend. I actually saw it Sunday morning. Again, we're doing our transfer portal tracker at Aaron Torres Online. Well, one of the top transfers currently in the portal right now is a kid named Jimmy Horn, who played the last two years at South Florida. He had thirty-seven catches this year, and he has offers already from a number of SEC and Big Twelve, Big Ten schools. Excuse me. Well, on Sunday, twenty-four-seven Sports reported that this kid, Jimmy Horn, will visit Texas A&M, Penn State, Houston. Who remembers going to the Big Twelve and Colorado? And so, why I bring that up? I think that's important. Is it not? You have an elite wide receiver that Penn State thinks is good enough to come to Penn State, that Texas A&M thinks is good enough to come to Texas A&M, and he is also going to visit Colorado. Do you think Colorado is getting that visit without Deion Sanders? I don't think so. By the way, we're going to get a lot more portal talk in the next few days, but how about the high school ranks? I saw this from the high school ranks, and I don't want to go too excited because it is a player who is in the class of 2025, which means he's currently a sophomore. But Colorado on Sunday got a commitment from a five-star player in the class of 2025, a kid named Winston Watkins. Now I get it. He's a sophomore. He's got 24 months before he can sign a letter of intent. Deion Sanders might be in Alabama by then. He might be in the SEC by then. But what I'm just saying is the guy is making a difference right away. And again, this is something we're going to track and monitor on this show as we hit portal season over the next few weeks. And so you look at what he's done in the portal. High school, I think he's going to have success. Now, we've talked about it before with Colorado. I don't know if, again, the future of high school football recruiting at the top level is to—it's just flat out bidding on players. I don't know if Colorado can get into bidding wars with some of the SEC and Big Ten schools. But what I will say, if he convinced Travis Hunter to come to Jackson State in an NIL world, I think he's going to do all right. At Colorado in the Pac-12, especially with the natural recruiting f- footprint of Southern California, the natural recruiting footprint of Texas, uh, a place that he obviously has ties. He lived in Dallas, obviously, post-playing career. Last little thought, and I'll just say this: this isn't really Dion related as much as it is, you know, other interesting things to monitor related. I do think what I just said. Is maybe the most interesting element of it all, right? Like we, we're gonna talk about Dion. How good can he be? Well, he's gonna be really good. Now, can he build a national championship contender? I don't know, but he's gonna win a lot of games. What's going to be interesting to me though? What ends up happening with Travis Hunter? For those of you who've forgotten, the number one high school football player in America, who last year was committed to Florida State, and it was almost almost exactly a year ago this week that was committed to Florida State, national signing day comes, he doesn't sign his letter of intent, and he flips to Jackson State. That one is the one that's interesting to me. Because on the one hand, I can see him saying, look, I committed to play for Deion Sanders, best corner of all time. I'm a corner. I want to go to the NFL. That's who I want to play for. And I can see him saying, okay, he's going to Colorado now. Time for me to pack my bags, hit the Rocky Mountains, go to Colorado. But I could also see him saying, now, wait a second. Committed to Jackson State, but I'm from georgia jackson's not that far i mean it's not close but it's not far um and i committed to kind of elevate the hbcu well now the hbcu thing is done if i leave and do i really want to go follow dion 2500 miles away now that part i don't know i think he could stay at jackson state and say listen i want to continue to fight this hbcu fight even without Dion." i could see the scenario where he follows dion greatest corner of all time. This is who I committed to play for. This is who I want to play for him. I could also see him hitting the portal and him being the highest priority of any single player in the portal. And you think about the fact that this is a kid that was recruited by Florida state. This was a kid that was recruited by Georgia, recruited by Alabama. Can you imagine what would happen if this kid hits the portal And who would be interested? Every school in America would be interested. And he'd be probably CB1 walking in the door. So that is a fascinating element to follow. But right now, the story is Deion Sanders. An incredible story. An incredible moment. Happy for Colorado. Good for college football. And good for the Pac-12. I just want to do take a quick break. Come back. And when I come back, we will wrap the show. A little bit of college hoops. Kentucky wins overseas in England. North Carolina takes another loss. That is not good. We'll just hit on some news and notes from College Hoops this weekend. Take a quick break. Be right back. All right, we're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back Bracket Fanatics, the sponsor of our Aaron Torres Pod NFL Pick'em Challenge. By now, I've told you all about Bracket Fanatics. I have worked with Bracket Fanatics multiple times for the NCAA tournament this year. They decided to come to the NFL space, created a pick challenge, and they are taking care of listeners of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you want to get involved, here's what you got to do. Go to BracketFanatics.com. Okay, BracketFanatics.com, just the way it sounds. Click the Join Bracket tab. Once you join Bracket, the bracket name that you want to enter is Torres. Question you might be asking yourself, why do I want to enter it? Well, it's easy because Bracket Fanatics is taking care of you. Bracket Fanatics is giving out $100 weekly winners. Every single week, you log in, BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket, bracket name tours. Every single week, all you got to do, pick every single game, and the person who has the most wins in any week gets $100 cash, courtesy of Bracket Fanatics. Last week, it was KB22. I actually spoke to KB22 over the weekend. Congrats to KB22. He won week 12. We will announce week 13 later this week. But you're probably sitting there saying to yourself, what else, Torres? Is there more? Absolutely there is because Bracket Fanatics is actually giving out a $1,000 season-long cash prize. A $1,000 season-long cash prize, Bracket Fanatics. So again, BracketFanatics.com, join Bracket, bracket name Torres, $100 weekly winners, $1,000 season-long cash prize. Now, obviously, it is week 13. It's getting late in the year, but it's not too late to sign up. You think you can make up some ground? Go ahead and do it. Bracketfanatics.com, join bracket bracket name torres hundred dollar weekly winners thousand dollar season-long cash prize all right everybody i am back Good to be back gonna be back final segment of the show so good to be back and i do want to wrap with a little bit of college hoops right so as i said to lead the show the college football playoff field is set The coaching carousel is done. And while we'll obviously continue to follow college football into bowl season, into the playoff, and most importantly, with all the crazy transfer portal stuff that's coming, it is time also to kind of start to get a little bit serious about college hoops. And this feels like about the right time, right? We are now a month or so into the season. Remember, college hoops basically tipped off the end uh, or the beginning, excuse me, of November. We're about a month in. We're through Feast Week, and as crazy as it sounds, we started conference play this weekend, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC all playing conference games. And so a lot happened over the course of the weekend. Obviously, on Friday's show, we talked a little bit about some of the odds and ends, Creighton losing at Texas, a couple other things. And what I want to do is hit on a bunch of different things that happened over the course of the weekend. Some stuff we've already hit on, like, oh, I don't know, North Carolina maybe not being so good, Gonzaga struggling. So we'll save some of the other stuff that happened for later on in the show. We're going to hit on a lot of college hoops. That's what I'm trying to say. But where I want to start is with a team that, frankly, I haven't talked about that much here in the last couple weeks. It is the University of Kentucky. They entered the season with national championship uh, belief and faith and thoughts. Just one problem that through a month of the season, they had played two marquee games against Michigan State in the Champions Classic, against Gonzaga in Spokane a few weeks ago. They had gone 0 2. And so there wasn't that much to get excited about, but they played again on Sunday, another marquee game. And they do take care of Michigan in, how about this? They played the game in London. Across the pond, tea and crumpets, fish and chips, Kentucky beating Michigan. And what I would say when I look at this game, a couple things stand out. The first thing is, listen, I don't want to be hyperbolic. I don't want to over-exaggerate. And I don't want to say that it was a must-win for the University of Kentucky. But it was kind of a must-win for the University of Kentucky. Because, look, they didn't play in the PK-85 tournament. They didn't play in Maui. They didn't play in Atlantis. That's not how John Calipari rolls. Another conversation for another day if he should be more aggressive in in, in pursuing those scheduling opportunities. But why it was a pseudo-must-win, Kentucky really isn't going to get that many good chances going forward to pick up marquee wins in the out-of-conference, especially prior to SEC play. Now, they have the Big 12 SEC Challenge later in the year in late January, early February. But in terms of big games, outside of the Michigan game on Sunday, it essentially comes down to UCLA two weeks from now at Madison Square Garden in the CBS Sports Classic. Outside of UCLA, outside of Michigan on Sunday, the only other Power 6 game that was on their schedule prior to SEC play is Louisville. Well, Louisville literally might be the worst team in Power Conference basketball, so that win isn't going to matter. And so Kentucky needed to get this win. Kentucky had to have it overseas uh, uh, across the pond in London, and they get it. Now, in terms of what happened, what I would say is, listen, I think this is the first time since the season started, there is like reason for optimism and excitement with Kentucky. It wasn't a perfect game. We're going to get some of the flaws in a minute, but why I think it was important is pretty straightforward. So we know Kentucky has a national player of the year returning in Oscar Shebae. We all know the name. We all know what he's capable of. We all know that on any given night, he can go for 20 and 20. The problem is for Kentucky is you need to find consistency outside of him. And I don't think there's any doubt that you have the dude. Severe Wheeler is a multi-year college basketball player, point guard. Jacob Toppin's been in the program for three years. Cason Wallace is a McDonald's All-American that I think is going to be a top 10 pick. But you need that consistency. You need that production. And that is why the game in London on on Sunday afternoon was so important for Kentucky. Because the guys that you needed to step up in that game absolutely did and were part of the reason, were a big reason why you got the victory. Now, Oscar Sheebway, he was good. He did Oscar Sheebway things, finishing the game overall against Michigan with a total of 13 points and 14 rebounds. And that's how you know it was a good day. When Shibway finishes, when Oscar finishes with 13 and 14 and anybody's barely talking about it, that's a positive sign. But most specifically, when it comes to Kentucky, there are two guys that, in my opinion, are the difference makers over whether they're going to be a a good SEC team that loses in the Sweet 16, or they're a team that can literally get back to the school's first Final Four uh, since 2015. They are the freshman Case and Wallace that I talked about. And also senior Jacob Toppin. Yes, the younger brother of Obi Toppin. No, Kentucky fans, you have never heard that before. You are probably shocked even hearing that. But yes, Jacob Toppin is the younger brother of Obi Toppin. And I am absolutely being sarcastic. But the point I'm trying to make is those are the guys that you need to be good, to have success, and win the games that you have to in the games that are going to matter in SEC play against the Alabamas, the Auburns, the Arkansas, the Tennessees. Well... Good news, those two guys combined for 28 points, including four of five from three, four of four for Case and Wallace. These are the guys that you need. If those three deliver every night, Kentucky is a team that can beat anyone in college basketball. If one of the three or two of the three is off and in the first two marquee games, you really haven't gotten much out of Jacob Toppin to a certain degree you have out of Case and Wallace, you're going to struggle. So to get production out of all three of those guys was great. Overall, all five starters were in double figures, and he didn't even get all that much uh, from C.J. Frederick, the sharpshooting transfer from Iowa. And so for Kentucky, you don't want to over-exaggerate it. Like I said, you don't want to do the hyperbole, oh my God, it changes the season. No. You go to you, you go play UCLA in a few weeks and you lose, it ain't going to be pretty in Lexington, but this was the win that you Absolutely had to have. You get it. The only other couple thoughts that I have on this game one, I do think offensively, that is the one thing that I would be a little bit concerned about. Once again, Kentucky fans, they'll tell you all about the offense. And I thought there was a little too much kind of standing around, too many late shot clock situations, severe wheeler, the point guard being asked to create too much late in shot clock situations. But he finishes with 11 and seven. And then I think more importantly, two things stood out. One, you shot really well from three. Nine of 15 from three, you needed it. And two, a kid that we talked about over the course of the summer, uh, 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 I'm going to trip over his name, so please forgive me when I say it, but Ugana Anyeso, uh, we talked about him when he committed. I thought he was excellent. Now, you watch the game, Jay Billis and uh, Carl Ravich were kind of, oh, you know, he can't handle Hunter Dickinson. Well, Hunter Dickinson is a, an All-American junior So forgive a kid that's been playing basketball for just a couple years, came to the United States a year ago for struggling. I thought he gave them really good minutes. I thought uh, Ugana Onyeso, I thought he did a very good job in this game defending Hunter Dickinson. I thought it was a performance that they needed. Oscar Shibwe got in foul trouble. This kid off the bench, four points, two rebounds, two blocks. It doesn't sound like much. But Oscar Shibway, now you have another body. If Oscar goes out, you can bring this kid in and he can give you a few minutes. From the Michigan perspective, you know, I'll be blunt. I I, I don't know that there's a ton I can take away. This team uh, struggled earlier in the year. They lost to Virginia a few days ago in a game that they easily could have won. When I say struggled, they lost to an Arizona State team that might not be as bad. But why it's hard for me to gauge this Michigan team is because their starting point guard Jalen Llewellyn went down with an injury in this game It was a knee. He was seen with ice on the sidelines, and you hope that he's okay. No report as I record here late Sunday, but you hope that he's okay. Kentucky gets the win that they absolutely need. Let's keep it going. Let's stay in the Big Ten. I thought there were a few interesting results, and how about this? We had a top 25 matchup on Friday night during the big uh, during the Pac-12 championship game while everybody was watching Caleb Williams limp around and try to play through all the pain and the discomfort and whatever Maryland and Illinois were playing in College Park Maryland gets the win final score 71 to 66 the Maryland Terrapins are 8 and 0 and as i record here it's late sunday they're ranked number 22 in the country i think they're going to be in the top 15 come monday morning and i'll say this you don't want to start talking national coach of the year on December 5th. Kevin Willard might be that dude. And so for people who do not remember, remember Maryland, great program historically in college basketball. We talked about it one time a few years ago. I remember discussing it. They made they had a stretch in the mid-90s to the mid-2000s. They obviously won the 2002 national championship. Mid-90s to mid-2000s. They had a run where they went to like seven sweet 16s over a 10-year period. There was literally a decade in college basketball where Maryland was as good as anybody in college basketball under Gary Williams. Prior to that, they obviously had success in the lefty drizzle era, the Len Bias era, on and on. But this was a program that just kind of was kind of chugging along under Mark Turgeon, could never really kind of totally get it going. Maryland fans demanded better. Maryland fans said, this is not the guy. Mark Turgeon resigns early last year. And I give Maryland fans credit, right? This is sometimes in college sports. Sometimes in college sports, there are these moments where, you know, fan bases go crazy. Fan bases overreact. Fan bases say, this isn't the guy. I thought that Maryland fans had every right to to be frustrated with the Mark Turgeon era. For people who do not remember, he was there for about a decade. One sweet 16 run, but a weird time. He didn't recruit the Maryland area well. And I think really the thing with him was that with the move from the ACC to the Big Ten, he always kind of used that as a crutch. It's not my fault. We're in the Big Ten. It's a different deal. Fans have to readjust. Maybe fans don't have to readjust. Maybe they just needed a head coach. But credit to Kevin Willard as Maryland is now 8-0. and all seven wins prior to Friday were by, by 10 or more points, double-figured wins. And what especially impressed me is the best player on Maryland is a Maryland kid, Jameer Young. Transfer from Charlotte. Why that's interesting. Maryland, they call it the DMV, right? Uh, D- uh, DC, Maryland, and Virginia. It's one of the best recruiting fertile bases in the country. You can go on and on down the list. Kevin Durant, um, whoever, Emmanuel, quickly. I can't think of all these DMV guys off the top of my head. It's a great recruiting area. You need the right guy. Maryland had not recruited that area well until Kevin Willard comes in. They get the transfer against Illinois. Jameer Young goes for 24 points. Their 2023 recruiting class is filled with Maryland kids. And so to me, just a huge win for Maryland. For Illinois, I don't think there's a ton to take away from this game. Uh, It'll be interesting. Illinois is actually playing in the Jimmy V Classic on Tuesday night against Texas. Our guy, Zach Kroll, host of the College Hoops Today podcast, will be there. I encourage you to check out that show. But he will be there, and I think that's going to be an interesting game to follow as Illinois looks to bounce back against, uh, against Texas. But credit to Maryland for getting the win. One Big Ten team that did not get the win. Indiana, my boy Mike Effen Woodson taking his first effing loss of the season, baby, as they went to Rutgers. Indiana went to Rutgers, and they lost on Saturday. And listen, this is one I'm not going to spend too much time on it. This is college hoops. You go on the road, tough road environments. It is not easy. Indiana gets the loss against Rutgers. For Rutgers, I think this game was actually important. They lost in the ACC Big Ten Challenge to Miami. They were in complete control in that game and could not close out the victory. So for them to bounce back, get the win over Indiana, to me, it is a totally positive sign. For Indiana, I'm not worried. I'm not freaking out. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, You just got to bounce back and get the win. By the way, same for this weekend for the Arizona Wildcats. Weird week for Arizona. Why I'm talking Arizona right now Arizona actually plays Indiana next Saturday in Vegas in a marquee showdown game, 7 30 Eastern on Fox. Would love to be there. Unfortunately, I cannot attend. But Arizona on Thursday night actually lost to Utah. Now, I like Utah. I like Craig Smith, their head coach. I think Craig, Craig Smith is a rising star. Go back to the year that he was hired. I thought he was a, he came from Utah State. I thought he would be really good there. Arizona gets the win or Arizona takes the loss to Utah. Arizona then bounces back with a win over a really bad Cal team. It's worth noting because Arizona and Indiana, again, play on Saturday in Vegas. A couple other scores from the weekend. You know, one, and this was a shocker, Creighton losing a cross-state game to Nebraska – I don't know what to make of this game. You know, uh, Creighton of course is a team that, that was coming off back-to-back losses. They lost to Arizona in the Maui invitational championship game. And they also lost on Thursday night to Texas in a game that we discussed on this show um did not shoot well from the the three point line in this game as a matter of fact they didn't shoot well at all finishing the game shooting 25% from 3 10 of 40 you want to know why they lost the game it's because you you missed 30 shots from behind the three point line you're not going to win Creighton again they actually play in Vegas over the course of the next week as well next Saturday they play BYU the day after they play Arizona State I'll actually be at the Arizona State game a week from Monday a week from today as a matter of fact uh, but I, you know it's early I'm not going to stress but what I will say you know what this is interesting for it's interesting for my UConn Huskies Villanova got to win this weekend over Oklahoma but Villanova's the bottom of the barrel uh St. John's took a bad loss to Iowa State. They got smoked. Seton Hall got smoked by Kansas. I thought Yukon and Creighton might be the two best teams in this league. Yukon might run away with this, this, this league if I'm not, you know, if we don't keep an eye out. Two other scores, and they matter. Um, Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, excuse me, North Carolina lost again. And I'm not going to go through the whole North Carolina deal. We've done it. We did it on last Tuesday's show after the PK-85. And we did it on Thursday's show after they lost to Indiana in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. North Carolina is not good right now. This was a team that was the preseason number one. This is their fourth straight loss. The Monday AP poll, by the time many of you listen to this, North Carolina is not going to be ranked. They will not be in the top 25. And listen, in this game, their star center Armando Baycott was not available. He did not play. And I know it's the ACC, and I know it's a road game, and Virginia Tech is actually legitimately good. But North Carolina's got to figure things out. There just are no excuses. Specifically, I think the concern if you're North Carolina, Caleb Love did play a little bit better, but three of 17 from three, only six assists in this game. So we've talked about Caleb Love specifically. We've talked about shot selection. You can't have six assists over the course of a game and expect to beat good teams. Credit to Virginia Tech. And then the final one. This was a big one on Friday night as well. Baylor and Gonzaga in a rematch of the 2020 National Championship game, the 2021 National Championship game, the one that was won because of COVID. Baylor scores the final eight points in this game to get the win. I've done the Gonzaga spiel. This was a game they easily could have won. And actually, if Gonzaga had won this one, you'd have to feel pretty good about them going into – you know, they're they're done with the meat of their, their out of conference play. But if they went into conference play with wins over Michigan State, Kentucky, Xavier, and Baylor, you feel really good. This one got away. Um, and and you know, I think the blueprint is there to beat Gonzaga. It's like I just said with North Carolina. Too many turnovers again for Gonzaga, which we've talked about time and time again. 18 turnovers in this game compared to 12 assists. Um, and they don't shoot the three-ball well enough. How about this first stat? Gonzaga shot six of 22 from three. That's 27%, 18 turnovers, and they probably should have won this game when Drew Timmy only had nine points. I actually think that's weirdly a net positive, but they got to figure out a couple things. They got to figure out taking care of the basketball. Do they have a point guard on this roster? Nolan Hickman, former Kentucky commit eight assists, but still 18 turnovers as a team. And more importantly, they got to figure out where they're going to get points outside of Drew Timmy. Good win for Baylor, but Baylor wasn't much better from the three-point line. Six of 24, they got some stuff to figure out as well. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It is time for me to get out of here. Before we do, I want to remind you, make sure you're subscribed to Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead and give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. A couple reminders, the merchandise store is still open, Aaron AaronTorresOnline.com slash merchandise. Also, that transfer portal tracker, you're going to want to bookmark it Follow on Twitter at CFB Transfers. We're going to have all the news and notes that you need there. It is time for me to get out of here. It's time for me to go have some dinner and relax. Shout out to Toronto. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, UF head. Shout out to Coach Prime, new head coach at, Buffalo, uh, at Colorado, the Buffaloes. We'll be back on Tuesday. New episode, Aaron Torres podcast.
0: With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.